Hey my friend, this is Joe Bakmotsky and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Listen, if you're listening to this, then one way or another, cancer is already a part of your life. And if you're a cancer patient here in Australia, then you definitely need to hear this because today I'm talking to Eva and Eva is an incredible expert in oncology. She's really a professor of oncology at Monash University. She's also the director of oncology at Monash Health and she's going to give us plenty of tips and ideas on how you can best get through your cancer treatment in these uncertain times. Hey Eva! Hello Jack! Thank you so much! <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I, I, I've been really looking forward to talking to you. In fact, like with the, my six-year-old, as we were doing homeschooling this morning, he said, what are you going to do today, Dad? And I said, I'm really looking forward to this interview. Thank you so much for doing this, Eva. I really appreciate that. And it's a crazy time we live in, isn't it? Unprecedented is the word that gets thrown around, but it's really uh, describes it well. It's, it's bizarre in, in every aspect of our life. Uh, so <laughs> it's something we've never faced before, either in our professional life or our personal life. It's something that impacts absolutely every member of the community, which is pretty uncommon. Even with the bushfires, we're all affected, but not directly. Uh, So, yeah, crazy times, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I couldn't help myself thinking that as soon as uh, as this whole coronavirus pandemic started like exploding, I couldn't help myself thinking going, no, um, I'm kind of not glad that I'm not going through cancer treatment right now because it's scary. You know, I mean, I just imagined myself again kind of going through this whole experience. It's pretty full on. So, like, if you are a cancer patient right now, Eva, like, and you going through treatment or maybe you're about to go through treatment, like, what do you really need to know about COVID-19 and how that's going to impact what you're going through with cancer? So, Joe, really good questions. And when we first uh, sort of started paying attention to this disease, when it first became known that it wasn't just going to be a problem in China, the first thing we thought of is how can we protect our cancer patients? Because we suspected and uh, the data has shown that they would be more vulnerable We don't know if they're more vulnerable to getting the disease, but they certainly, as a group from the overseas experience, do worse if you catch the disease. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that might be the case. The really important thing to say, though, is that what we are going to experience in Australia is going to be completely different from everything you see overseas. And there was a long time where we didn't know that, Uh, But now it's become quite obvious. As long as we continue with all the reasons we are so successful, which is social distancing and forms of lockdown and very slow release. So that's a huge reassurance to the cancer community uh, because we did see people with cancer um, being affected by COVID-19 and we saw the effect on people who didn't have COVID-19 but still needed treatment in countries where the health system was overwhelmed like the UK and Italy. And 
as I said, we were preparing for that here, but it doesn't seem like it will happen. And that's of great reassurance. We now feel much more confident that we will be able to control the pandemic, look after patients with COVID-19 and continue to look after our cancer patients. Not quite as we would before, perhaps with some things that are actually going to be more beneficial to them. So that's the sort of silver lining that may come from this. Yeah, that's fantastic, Eva. So, and what are, I guess, the key things that, you know, you can do as a cancer patient to know about COVID-19 and to be, uh, I guess, prepared and possibly even, you know, reduce the risk of, of getting the disease? Great question, Joe. So the first thing is to really make sure that we keep social distancing. We have heard about a lot of cancer patients who've actually isolated themselves away from their family. And given that we will have some form of social distancing for a long time, I think we've got to think about the broader impact of that, including on the patient's well-being. And the key is that we have very, very low community transmission rates. So our, the risk from, of a cancer patient acquiring this by going out or going to the hospital or seeing their GP is really, really low at the moment in Australia because we have such low transmission rates. So I think that it's quite different advice than what we would be giving you uh, cancer patients in England right now or in Italy. So the advice would be to social, keep socially isolating, but within your family or usual household, there's, I don't think, any reason to go to a different place or isolate all by yourself. Simple things like keeping a lot of ventilation in the house, keeping the windows open, minimising going out, and minimising going to treatment, but not putting yourself in danger by not going to treatments that are helping you. So I always talk about this concept of competing risk, and cancer patients are familiar with this because when we talk to you about having chemo, we say, look, there could be side effects, you could even die from the chemo, but what is the alternative? if we don't give this to you. So trade-offs and, and, and what's called competing risks, even of death, are well known to cancer patients. They're actually well known in the community. If you sign the forms to go skydiving, you know that the parachute might not open, but it's a very low risk. So in this situation of the COVID-19, I really want your listeners and patients and families to know there's lots of resources through the usual channels, the Cancer Council, lots of helplines, extra staff have been put on. We've been involved in creating some information sheets in different languages for our cultural and linguistically diverse community. Uh, so they're general information. And then, of course, the source of information for you as an individual patient is your treating team and they are there to help you and guide you and in fact all your consultations should involve a discussion about COVID-19, what it means, how it should impact on your treatment. 
It's a time to keep healthy, even though we're at home. So exercise, mindfulness, yoga, whatever it is that helps keep um, your body and mind fit is particularly important at this time. Yeah, Eva, I love this, uh, your your idea of competing risks. And in many ways, like, I guess I s- think about it along the similar lines, as in, uh, I think, you know, we all talk about uncertainty. I almost think that uncertainty is not a bad thing because certainty with cancer, for example, you know that there is a great certainty that if you don't have any treatment, that you are probably going to die. And and that is a certainty you don't want. I mean, we'd rather take on the uncertainty of not knowing, you know, how taking on like potential risk of getting the disease or whatever. But at the same time, uh, you know, we want to prevent uh, the fact that you have uh, this big thing going on that we want to really get on top of. And this is really great advice that I think you really point out that we should make COVID-19 a part of every conversation because it is a big deal and we don't want to just kind of go pretend it's it's not there, right? Look, absolutely. And it will have different manifestations for each patient. We've been able to give patients a break from treatment where they were doing very, very well. And we've said, you're doing so well. We don't want you to come to the hospital if you're well. And enjoy this time. We don't think we're compromising anything by having a break. We can bring the treatment back in the future. And in fact, having treatment because your cancer is so well controlled is actually more risky than the risk of COVID. Now, other patients, it's not. Other patients is COVID is very low in the community. We have very good safety mechanisms in the hospital, screening, temperature screening, questionnaires for patients. And we can reassure you that you do need the treatment and you will be safe when you come to the hospital. Uh, So they, they, they sound completely opposing, but that's the nature of cancer. It's different for every patient. Their risk is different. Their disease is at a different stage their response to treatment. So that sort of individual decision-making is what I would really encourage everybody to do with their doctor. How does COVID-19 affect my treatment? Do I need to have less drugs? Can I have a break? Can I change to a different treatment that we might not do if there wasn't COVID-19? Because above all, we want to keep our cancer patients safe and keep them at home unless they don't need to be at home. Yeah, that's that's perfect. I mean, and, and that's a great point that there would could be potential ways to change the treatment around just to kind of get help you get get through this time. And and that makes me also want to touch on telehealth. I know it's something that I guess we've all probably heard about, but unless you've had experience with it, uh, you don't really know what that is. Is this is this kind of like basically video conferencing with your specialist? Yeah, look, it's actually a really great thing, I think. And uh, I'd like to reassure people, don't be frightened of it. It's actually really lovely to see people in their house. You often get to see their family, their kids who who wouldn't be coming. It saves people driving in or catching public transport, all the costs associated with parking, 
uh, costs associated with family coming with you and taking time off work because it is a form of video conferencing where we can also add, it's not just two ways, we can bring in family members who may be at another house uh, or maybe even at their place of work. So it actually can enhance over a usual consultation. We can bring in interpreters also. The word telehealth is a little bit sort of confusing because it implies telephone and we are using the telephone for people who aren't comfortable with video conferencing. But I do want to say it is much, much better to do the video conferencing, to be able to see someone, to look at their nonverbal cues they're giving you. Uh, we can't touch people as much anymore because of COVID-19. Uh, and so the nonverbal cues become even more important. I know that for people who've not used to video conferencing, it can be a challenge. It's a new technology. In the era of COVID-19, many people, though, are now FaceTiming their family, even older people, and it's not really too much different from that. We at, uh, our, at Monash Health are trying to pilot a program where with education, we're even looking at trying to provide uh, devices for people who don't have them. Now, we haven't got to that stage yet, but we are hoping we may get to that uh, to make sure that everyone has equitable access to this technology. Now, some patients still need to come in and see us face to face and they shouldn't be worried about that but I would encourage everyone to try telehealth and persist, try video conferencing, ask family members to be round to help you. Everyone knows a three-year-old kid could, could use this technology. Uh, the, young, the younger, the better. <laughs> so ask for help, particularly the first time. Have it set up so it's very easy, mainly just connecting a button. Uh, and I've not ever done a telehealth consultation where someone with the video has been uh, not, uh, has not enjoyed it or not felt that it was really uh, very, very good. If we need to see something like somebody had a rash on their face, they could show us on the video. It's much harder on the telephone. So I acknowledge there's teething problems, everybody's getting used to it, the administrators or secretaries who set it up, annoying when the internet goes down or the call drops out. But I do think that this change will outlast the epidemic and will be a great way for us to see our patients uh, in the future. It opens up the possibility to doing evening clinics for people who come home after work uh, or even weekend clinics. So there's lots of potential benefit. Patients who are worried about a side effect, instead of coming all the way to the hospital or a rash or something can show us. So I think there are many good things that will come out of telehealth, but I do recognise when it goes well, it goes well. When it doesn't work, it is really frustrating. Yeah, but that's fantastic, Eva. I, I really love that because it's also probably a lot more 
comforting in the sense that you are doing it out of your comfort of, of your own home and you can have uh, you know someone like you know your caregiver or a family member just there with you to make it more comfortable and you are also seeing potentially your specialist also in a, in a in a slightly different environment and I also love the idea that you mentioned that you can bring someone else in uh, like an interpreter or possibly someone else from your medical team, maybe another specialist or maybe an oncology nurse or whatever that might be to kind of, or, or your, your, your general practitioner to kind of be a part of that conversation. So that's really cool. And I think, you know, there's also potential options, as I understand, about treatment from home even things like chemotherapy um could you talk to that a little bit yes sure joe look i think there are already services some uh, in areas more than others where you can get some treatments at home not everything will be able to be given at home but more and more uh, we are trying during the epidemic to keep pandemic to keep people at home. So things like port flushes or um, subcutaneous injections, um, some forms of treatment, uh, chemotherapy or immune therapy can be given at home. And there, that's uh, really also a change that will hopefully stay with us beyond the pandemic. It's not for everyone, but uh, like most things, but there's definitely a role for it. And we definitely, I hope, will embrace some very new models of care for all our patients after this. I, I just wanted to mention that telehealth is also fantastic for counselling. It's also good for group exercise. All those support things that are so important for cancer patients can be done. Uh, you can have many, many people on uh, the call and uh, you can have groups, you can have many uh, of your team members together as well. So between telehealth and home, I think we're entering a sort of new era for cancer patients and we're really hoping that these things last and the good things last beyond the pandemic, it will need a little bit of change of how the government funds things and emphasis because, but we've known for a long time that we're too reliant on our big hospitals and not enough on community-based care. Yeah, that's fantastic, Eva. And I think I'm so glad you brought this up because many of those um, services, such as, you know, exercise, such as diet uh, during cancer, such as, uh, you know, counseling. I mean, to be honest, most of the time when you go through cancer treatment, I know from personal experience and speaking to so many people, you have no idea that it's there. And I think it's so vital to have those things. And now, to, as, as you say, to have those things potentially available uh, through telehealth where you can actually do it from the comfort of your own home. Because it really is helpful to speak to someone who gets the position that you're in, that you are going through treatment or that you're in recovery or maybe you've, you you know, you're a cancer survivor and, and kind of offer you to just listen and, and, and help you and just 
talk through things or also do exercises. I think, think that's really fantastic. Tell me, what about, you know, oncology professionals in terms of how, how it happens in, 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 in a hospital setting? Would you still have, like, tumor boards, the so-called, or, like, I guess, collective discussions around specific situations for patients, right, where maybe potentially there's different ways to go? How would that work? like right now in, in the in the pandemic. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Look, it's well recognized that multidisciplinary tumor boards are really key to managing uh, patients and making sure all options have been considered and discussed. And they uh, have continued just changing the technology. So telehealth, some people are present, but with proper social distancing. And actually, participation may even have increased with telehealth because you don't have, you know, if you're running late, you don't have to drive there. Uh, there's a lot of efficiencies. And again, uh, we're used to using technology to look at things. We're not so used to using it as big groups, talking to each other, but there's been a very steep learning curve. And I can reassure you that, Almost all MDTs are continuing as they would have before, just in a slightly different format. Absolutely. And Eva, what happens if you uh, have flu-like symptoms, if you are concerned that you might have COVID-19? Should you go get tested? Should you tell your specialist? How, what's your advice there? Very good question. So firstly, to say you definitely should get tested, but you probably won't have COVID-19. So uh, <laughs> you do need a test. It's really important if you have symptoms, but rest assured that if you don't really have a contact, uh, it will be unlikely. That's here in Australia. Again, completely different in places like England, UK, New, uh, New York, Europe, where the community spread was uh, very, very high. So here you definitely need to get tested, but you probably won't have COVID-19. Ring the COVID-19 hotline, ring your GP or ring your hospital. Either will send you to a COVID-19 testing centre. We need to make sure it's not something else. You're not febrile and neutropenic from your chemotherapy. So if you're on chemotherapy, I would suggest you first ring your treatment team because they will know whether your symptoms could be something else. They will still get you tested for COVID-19 probably uh, unless they find another good reason for your symptoms. If you're not actively on treatment, then through your GP and through the usual COVID-19 testing, but always worth letting your team know. Yeah, that's fantastic, Eva. That's, that's really great advice. Now, I want to touch on subject of oncofertility because I think that's also a, a big deal. I know that was for me, and I'm so glad that my oncologist sent me to uh, put away um, some sperm for storage before I began, you know, my chemo treatment. And thankfully now, because of that, we've gone to IVF and we have a miracle baby. <laughs> oh, 
amazing. Yeah, it is, isn't it? So it's so cool, but it's so vital as well, right? That this is something that, you know, we, we, we want to give people options even in this time. So what's going on on that front, do you think? Great question, because we see on the news IVF was stopped and now it's restarted. In fact, for cancer patients, it was never stopped, at least to collection of samples. That, that has not ever been stopped in Australia uh, for cancer patients. And as things relax, it will eventually go back to normal. So rest assured, we still have a very high, very front of mind for patients that we look at fertility and that we uh, collect the precious parts needed, easier to collect from a man than a woman, of course. Uh, but it has continued throughout this in COVID-19 and again, as long as we continue to control the infection, we're not expecting that our services will be impacted in any way. Routine IVF, not for cancer, has been stopped, as we know, uh, temporarily, although that is, I think, one of the early things that will be released from the lockdown. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Eva. And what, what's your take on clinical trials? Um, you know, as it relates to, to cancer treatment, is that even an option, you know, in our uncertain times? Joe, you're asking all the right questions. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Clinical trials offer patients treatments that they may not get outside the clinical trial. Now, those treatments may turn out to be a miracle or they may not work. That's why we're doing the trial. In terms of cancer trials, these are vital. And so what we've done, and it varies a little bit from hospital to hospital, but has the same underlying principle where patients were already on a trial, they continued that treatment. It wouldn't have been ethical to stop it. Some trials stopped putting new patients on, mainly because of the situation overseas. So they were being done in New York and London, etc., And so they stopped the trial on a global level for recruitment, for a temporary stop. I've not heard anything that has permanently stopped. Again, people are waiting to see how this pandemic plays out uh, in other jurisdictions. For our particular, the, the, the centre that I uh, lead, we went through trial by trial. We considered whether we thought being on the trial gave an additional risk of COVID-19 and where we thought that may happen, we stopped recruitment to the trial. Now, that was really only one or two trials. Where we knew people would need treatment anyway, COVID-19 or not, patients needed that treatment. Uh, we continued the trial and only some very experimental trials where patients were getting brand new treatments and where we knew already that the side effects may be significant, did we say that we would halt recruitment to the trials. So clinical trials have varied uh, between hospitals 
but most hospitals have kept most trials going and only stopped recruiting to trials where we thought there was a, a, a significant chance or a danger of making patients more vulnerable to COVID-19. Again, now that we've seemed to have controlled the pandemic, I think you'll see more trials reopening. And of course, there were going to there are trials relating to COVID nineteen itself, uh, and ethics committees set up special fast track processes so that these could be open very quickly. Yeah, that's fantastic, Eva. Thank you so much for your time and for your expertise. I love it. Can I just say one thing that we didn't mention? That is, absolutely. Please do get your flu shot. It's important for cancer patients to get their flu shot. Uh, it's safe and they should be contacting their GP. There are drive-through clinics and they should be prioritised to get the flu shot. So last uh, word to your listeners, please get your flu shot. Please contact any of the cancer helplines if you need more information. Go back to your treating teams. But feel safe. Everyone is there to look after you and help you through this COVID-19 pandemic and keep you safe. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Eva. Thanks, Joe. Hey, my friend, this is Joe Bakmulski, host of the Simplify Cancer podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in because I know that this is a especially crazy time for all of us. And if you're struggling a little bit right now with the lockdown, with the COVID-19 pandemic, then I, I, I urge you to check out my 14-day lockdown challenge. How to stay sane, steady and strong in the time of pandemic. You know, each day I'm sharing what I've really learned from cancer about dealing with isolation, with worry and fear. And each day we're going to tackle a different topic. So if that sounds interesting to you, then go to 14-day, that's one for 14-day lockdownchallenge.com. Also, if you're a cancer patient who's going through you know, potential cancer treatment right now, then I urge you to go to simplifycancer.com and check out some of the free tools that I've created to kind of help you out along the way. If you go to simplifycancer.com to the tools section, you're going to find out the outcome map, which just shows you how to really work through specific worries, like in milestones, like, like a checkup, or maybe some specific symptoms that you've got, like an ache or a pain, and you're gonna figure out what to do next. It's a really simple tool that can help you to really work through that. There's also online community guide, which is how to really find the top three online communities for most cancer. So you can really check in with people who've been through it before, like connect with them, ask questions. They're gonna be there for you because they know exactly what it's like, you know, what to expect from treatment and beyond. Also, I've got a PDF called your first oncologist visit checklist. And here I've got all the questions that you want to be asking your specialist. So you can just print it out and take it with you. There's room to make notes. And also make sure that you can kind of prompt the conversation and make sure that you really don't forget. The other thing I've got for you is the testicular cancer support kit. I've done a whole bunch of videos for you on the things that you can really, you know, find out about dealing with testicular cancer from the perspective of someone who's been through it. 
This is not medical advice. This is just from my personal experience of dealing with cancer. Things that questions that you might have about fertility, about having sex, all of that sort of stuff. Like how does it feel? And guide you along the way and hopefully make your journey easier. So check that out as well. And speaking of my experience. You might also want to check out <laughs> Simplify Cancer, Man's Guide to Navigating the Everyday Reality of Cancer. This is the book that I wrote talking about the four main challenges that all of us guys must overcome when we're dealing with cancer. If you're interested in seeing what that's all about, go to simplifycancer.com. The links are pretty much <laughs> everywhere on the website and you know I'll tell you more about it. Other than that, thanks so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time.